Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Today I don't so much have a theme or a lesson that I want to offer you, but I just want to share a certain kind of beauty with you. The kind of beauty that is only found on the margins, in the stolen and off the beaten path moments. The kind of beauty that is not the focal point and beauty that has not really had a lot of time spent on it but something that's often missed or dismissed. The kind of beauty that doesn't really set out to be beautiful, but just is anyway. I went to the, to the post office yesterday, which I generally try to avoid in December, but I needed to get out a package that had a Christmas gift in it. Um, And so I was waiting in this very long line, and I knew that I was going to probably spend as much on shipping as I had spent on the gift. But I was in it. I was determined to see it through, um, and the post office was packed, and I had a bunch of other errands to run. And I just sort of wanted to get in and out. But I was stuck in this line, and while I was waiting there, I was um, clutching this box, and a man walked in and stood behind me and he had a big frame and he had a ruddy face and and blue overalls on and a and a big robust kind of reddish color beard and his presence and his energy was huge and he just sort of twinkled there was just something really um light and joyful about him and he looked at my package <laughs> and he asked what was in it. Um, and I laughed out loud because it, it seemed really audacious to ask anybody that. But I, I liked him. I liked his energy. And so I told him about the gift and we started talking. And these these stories just started pouring out of him. And he said, my grandmother used to make gifts for every one of us. And she would hand make these gifts and she would mail each one separately and he said she would sometimes make these corn cob dolls um, from hand you know by hand and that she would also kind of construct other toys from just different things that she found on the farm and then he started to describe her hands and her nails and how she would get these calluses from hand making these toys and and wrapping each one separately and just his story was so beautiful and he kept talking and talking and I started to wish that the line wasn't moving so fast I was loving his story and and I could tell that other people around us were really restless in the line and and um, just wanted to get their errand finished 
but he seemed really hungry to tell me about how he grew up and how nostalgic he was for these simpler times. And of course, you know, I'm a story hunter, and so I love falling into situations like this. And he went on to tell me about his dad, who worked for Goodyear Tires. And when they were little, he built this sandbox in the backyard for them as kids, and and how his dad had put a bunch of big tires in there for them to play in. And, and he was just captivating to me, and I could have listened to him tell these stories all day. And when I, when I dropped off my package, I was sad to walk away from him. And I don't even know his name, but he made me think about things that will likely stick onto me for a while. I'm still thinking about it. And um, in some ways, he changed something in me. And as I was leaving the, the post office, I thought about how some things that are, are really just on the margins, like the edges of the day, can be the most beautiful beautiful parts of our life, like conversations that are unexpected like that with strangers, things that are just accidents or lucky things, but can change the whole tone of how we feel about our own life. Another way that the, the beauty of margins is coming up for me currently is in my writing and my work on this podcast, it's something that often happens in the crevices of the day. I have to squeeze it in and kind of scratch it down during nap time or late at night when the house is really quiet and usually I'm very tired. And sometimes that feels hard. And like I don't get enough time to linger on things and to make sure that everything is really well thought through. But there is also a a rush and a beauty to that too. Like rush meaning like lack of time, but there's also a, a rush or like a thrill from kind of scurrying away from my kids for a few stolen minutes because I have to I have, have to write a story or I have to scratch something down that feels worthy to tell and to think about. And it's it's kind of like having a separate world that I get to sneak off to when I can. And something I've discovered about this marginal time is sometimes too much time for me can be the enemy of writing and creating. And so often for me, the rub of a small amount of space and time is what I need to push the truth out of me. And while I go through through long periods where I really want more solitude and more creative time to myself, I do know that with too much choice and too much time that I don't tend to use it well and I can just kind of wander around in it more. And the urgency of those margins is many times what I need to take a trust fall and to get something out into the world. I can't change that my creativity has to live in these crevices and on the edges of the main day right now. And maybe that's a good thing. It creates an exhilaration that feels really vital to me and an urgency to 
not allow myself to try to be too perfect or to be too precious, but to push something out. And I'm actually not sure if what I produced would be any better if I had more time to manicure it. In some ways, the rush and the the margin of that is, it, it seems like it might even be integral to the ideas themselves. Stealing little pockets of time for myself right now is something that I, I do for creative preservation. A few nights ago, I went to dinner, um, kind of a rare dinner out in Denver uh, with my friend Leslie, and I, I left my house early on purpose to give myself an extra half hour alone in the restaurant before she arrived. And I took my notebook and I ordered a glass of red wine when I sat down in the restaurant. It was early in the evening and so it was not very crowded, but there were some people starting to trickle in and, and I relished just sitting there and half listening to the conversations around me and the crackle of the fire and the, the server conversations and the hostess the host desk was kind of murmuring um, with conversations in the clink of the kitchen and the bar. And I was so happy to be on the margin of the room. And I was not at all wanting to be in the center of anything. And I was writing and drinking wine and listening and not having to talk or report anything. And when I was sitting there, I thought about seventh grade and what a painful year that was for me and how I would hide in the bathroom during lunch in order to avoid not having anybody to sit with. And I was so lonely that year and so unable to see my own worth. And I, as I sat there at my table, I, I realized how grateful I am now to savor being alone and to seek it out. And it's become something that I crave instead of being embarrassed by and, and how I will actually go to great lengths to steal it in small batches to preserve something in me and to fill my cup. And all of this consideration about beauty in the margins and unexpected beauty as I was sitting there in the restaurant also made me remember a person that I've not thought about for so many years many, many years. When I was growing up, my, my mom was friends with a woman named Dana. And Dana was blind. And she had a seeing eye dog. And her seeing eye dog was named Sherry. And she was this very sweet, beautiful, soft, golden retriever. And I, I just remember like how it felt to pet her. She was so soft. And Dana had gone blind when she was 16 from some sort of sudden sickness. And so she had spent her childhood being able to see just fine. And then the abrupt intensity of her sight being taken away from her, I think, caused her to be pretty angry at the world. And I remember I was just a child, but I remember watching her and trying to feel what it would be like to be her. And when we would come home from Dana's house, I would, I remember I would spend time in my room alone with my eyes closed. And I would try to imagine 
what it was like to be blind. And I, I tried to understand her anger and her loneliness and her sullenness. And I wouldn't have, uh, have known how to use this language, but looking back, it seemed like she sort of lived on the outskirts of the room. And whatever was going on, she was usually kind of pressed up against the wall. Literally, she was usually, but also she was energetically, and she was usually reluctant to join in. And even as a child, I understood her sadness, or, or I tried to understand. And there was also this incredible, unspoken beauty about how Dana and Sherry interacted. And it was like Sherry was a part of her body. And she, need, she seemed to know exactly what Dana needed, both physically and emotionally, almost at every moment. And Dana, I remember her voice would change when she spoke to this dog and she would get really quiet, quieter than when she was speaking to other people. And just the sweetest tone would come out of her mouth when she was speaking to Sherry. And she was the most remarkable dog I'd ever seen. And Dana was, she was flawless in her communication with her. And they had this symbiotic relationship. And it was something you could really feel. And I remember as a child being completely astounded by it. And it was almost always off-center to what was actually happening in the room. But no matter what was happening in the room, I was always drawn to Dana and Sherry more than anything else. And I haven't seen her in years and years and years. But I have been thinking about her this week and wonder if she's... Um, if she's doing well and if she has found a certain peace in her body and how much I, I hope that that is true uh, because she was really special. One of, my, one of my favorite movies of all time is called The Hours and it has Julianne Moore and Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman in it. And, and I remember reading somewhere that Nicole Kidman, who she plays um, Virginia Woolf in the movie. And, and I read somewhere that she found her, she found Virginia by using her hand. She found the character of Virginia Woolf through her hands and through the articulation of her hands and rolling small cigarettes and moving her hands in a certain way until she unearthed her character and I loved reading that. And, and there's this part where Virginia um, Nicole Kidman is staring off into space and in the movie and her small niece, who's a little girl, um, kind of catches her staring off and she looks really confused and she says something like, you know, what are you thinking about? And Virginia's sister in the film, who's the little girl's mother, she looks at the little girl and she says, your aunt is very lucky. She has two lives. She has the life that she's living and she has the lives of the people in the book that she's writing. And I was thinking about that scene this week and, and I was thinking about how what occupies our time 
is not always what is going on in the room. And how when we are worried about something, our joy can so quickly move into the margins. And the worry can become, without us even knowing it or wanting it to be so, our worry can then become center stage in the main part of the day. And how, especially when we're dealing with something like acute shame, everything moves to the margins. And the shame is the only thing that we can feel. And it can can take over mentally and physically, and it can even paralyze us um, emotionally so that we can hardly move forward in our lives. And And then there is how we push sometimes our intuition to the margins of the moment. And then we instead put the task of what we're doing in the center, we push listening to the edges. And we put doing and performing and producing at the front and center. And what is not said is so often on the margins and the black and white is the center of things. That's kind of the way the, the world works around us. And it's the way people tend to be most comfortable in that kind of paradigm. And the edges are so often left for something that you can't pin down and something there, there might not be language for. Billy Collins, who y'all know is, is one of my favorite poets, um, wrote, a, wrote a poem called Marginalia. And that actually translates to mean the handwritten notes in books, the ones that we jot down in the margins. And I want to read you an excerpt of that poem, which a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine recently pointed to a few weeks ago when I was texting with her about how I don't have enough time to write and create and belong in the world in a certain way. Um, And that, you know, I was just in that moment, in that texting exchange moment, feeling so overwhelmed being a mama of two small people and having that kind of consuming everything. And she pointed me to this poem, which was a real soothing balm for me that day. And I want to read you my favorite part. Yet the one I think of most often, the one that dangles from me like a locket, was written in the copy of Catcher in the Rye. I borrowed from the local library one slow, hot summer. I was just beginning high school then, reading books on a Davenport in my parents' living room, and I cannot tell you how vastly my loneliness was deepened, how poignant and amplified the world before me seemed, when I found on one page a few greasy-looking smears, and next to them, written in soft pencil by a beautiful girl I could tell, whom I would never meet. Pardon the egg salad stains, but I'm in love. (laughs) And reading that, it made me think about evidence and how that piece of that poem is arguably how the notes are arguably better than Catcher in the Rye. And how beautiful that evidence can be. Those clues that are left behind to how we construct our time. Good photographers, they always do this. They always 
are able to catch the evidence of things that are left on the margins of that moment that are worth capturing and and crystallizing. But then, of course, once they're captured and noticed and labeled as something, then they're not really on the margins anymore. I, um, I walk around my neighborhood a lot. It's a really interesting place here. And the houses in my neighborhood are all really unique, and, and they all have these little special touches, and the architecture is different from house to house. And a few weeks ago, I passed by a house that's near near to ours, and I glanced down where there's this basement window, which I had never noticed before, and inside the window was a book, and the book was positioned facing out so that I could see the title. And the title is First We Make the Beast Beautiful, A New Journey Through Anxiety. First We Make the Beast Beautiful. And I thought, God, what a great title. And so I stopped to write it down. And I felt like it was a gift just for me. Right there in in the middle of the day in this little hidden window, and I hope that they change out the book <laughs> periodically and recommend something different because I've already ordered that one. And maybe they'll recommend another one. I think about Benjamin's marginalia and how once he died, his handwriting that was in the margins of his books and the liner notes of the CDs and the music that he listened to became really special to me. And how when you love somebody, what they write and what they have noticed once they die becomes the most important thing. And it becomes sometimes all you have left. And so that's why you should always return your books (laughs) that you borrowed, especially when the person that you borrowed them from has written in the margins, because that writing is like pure gold or it will be one day anyway. There's a lot, there's a lot to do, a lot that's being asked of us individually. And I do think that we could practice hanging back a little bit so that we can snatch up some of the stuff at the edges where the action doesn't seem to be, but where sometimes the best part really is. And to move things around so that Things that are at the edges don't always have to stay there. And to remember, for all of us to remember that we are creating this life after all. And so maybe today, let yourself get pulled away to notice something really small and something beautiful in the margins that doesn't have anything to do with what is in the center. And let it change you. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying listening, I have a very sincere ask. Please consider becoming a monthly patron. When you give monthly, you are directly contributing to the production of this podcast. And every little bit really matters to me. And I'm so grateful for it. 
The information on how to become a patron is listed in the show notes. And if you do sign up, every week you'll receive a bonus episode, a practice episode to go along with these stories, which will give you a way to physically embody some of these um, themes and ideas. Other ways to help are to subscribe, to rate, review, and to tell your friends. Thank you so much. 